What's up and welcome back to the Crude Oil Podcast. It's episode 44 and the Kings have been eliminated on to round two. Sean, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. That was a hell of a game on Saturday. That was just like a collective, just easy breather of relief for once. That was, oh, what a game, man. Man, out of all the games, there was the six games that were played. All but one of them were essentially one goal games because there was the one empty net goal. But besides that, they're all fucking nail biters. Oh, I felt even like as a collective and we'll we'll get through the, the rest of the series. But I, I felt like there was so many overtime games this year, especially in the, the first round. I know this series is like it's so freaking tough to sit through a game where you have a vested interest and, and still hope for the best. Yeah, it's it's something that's I don't even know what else to say, but I think we're <laughs> we're getting some earlier games in this next one. So at least if they go to OT, it's not like crippling me for the next day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, we might as well jump into things. Uh, we we kind of uh, let off with it. We'll we'll chat about the the Oilers game six win over L.A. and uh, kind of recap the rest of the league um and and all the first round exits and shocking surprises and then we'll dive into the preview against the vegas gold knights you'll be listening to this uh just in time for game one um but uh before we jump into things just a reminder you guys can follow us on youtube and twitter at crude oil podcast jump in on the conversation we love uh love chatting with everybody there's so many different opinions that are are coming up of um what the the king series is going to look like so i'll be interested to get your take sean in a little bit but game six five four edmonton overall thoughts from you i mean it was a classic game from this fucking series where (laughs) it was so back and forth no like we had a two goal lead at one point but immediately threw it away when la scored two back-to-back power play goals so like like it was barely even a two goal lead. I don't even consider it a two goal lead. So essentially it was just back and forth and back and forth, but Edmonton led the entire time. They never were trailing. It was either tied or they were winning. And it felt like we were losing at some points. I don't know about you, but like, especially when the Kings like came back towards the middle of the second there and it was three to two, I was like, Oh, this is slipping away. And then obviously when they, they go in and, uh, um, or pardon me, when they tied it 3-3 in the second, and then when they tied it again in the third, and I was like, this, like, we're losing this game. And it was just like the mentality shift. Uh, they had to finish off game six. I truly believe it. Honestly, it was it was just a roller coaster. And, like, I love it. It's super fun. But at the <laughs> same time, like, I don't know how much more I can take of that. Like, yeah. we need maybe a couple blowout games in our favor so we can just, like hang out enjoy the games not worry too much about it like is that too much to ask well i think the thing that made it really exciting too like kudos to both teams is the execution on the opportunities was almost like perfect uh when i keep looking to the the special teams like they went three for five collectively as uh like both teams for uh, game six. And I, I saw the the stature in the game. It's not at the top of my head. I'm not going to go back and do the math, but the amount of uh, special teams goals that were scored this uh, uh, series is like phenomenal. Oh man, it's ridiculous. They had the two teams had a combined, what is this 90% uh, power play percentage? There you the go. Yeah. Like Edmonton had a 56.3% and LA had a 33.3%. Like that's just ridiculous. Honestly, both (laughs) teams had a garbage penalty kill and got absolutely throttled by the other team's power play. But luckily, even though we had less chances, we still managed to convert at a higher rate. So I Mm -hmm. think the net actual like amount of power play goals was pretty even, but uh, we just, it made a lot more with what we had and we outplayed them at five on five really hard. This entire series. I think there was only a few moments where we kind of were getting outplayed. Like game six, I would say we were getting outplayed pretty decently. The shot clock really showed that at the end of the game, getting outshot 44 to 26. But yeah, like, Like, well, when you look at that too, like it's four, five on five goals of the Edmonton Oilers score. Well, and that's the thing. Like we managed to still score at five on five, even though it seemed as though we were struggling a little bit, but this game and the first period of game four were the only times where I was truly like, Oh, LA is like playing really well. 
and we should mm. be concerned. And maybe the third period, the first, what was it, three quarters of the third period in game four as well, where they had like 15 shots to hour one. <laughs> I kind of wonder too if it's them just getting away from their game and just trying to force like offense so that they can sit back. Um, it kind of feels like the way that we saw the series play out. I mean, um, you look at the game that they had, and, and I mean, they, they crawled back a number of times, but you look at the game where they went up three, nothing. And then it's straight into that one, three, one, um, checking formation. Like that's what that formation's built for is defending leads. Well, and the thing is, Ellie didn't really have a lot of leads in the series, even though they were playing one, three, one, even when it was a tie game or they were down by one. They just decided to play that and hope for the best, essentially. Make sure, like, wait for Edmonton to make a mistake, have a turnover, turnover, a fumble the puck or something like that. Like, you can look at their first goal where um, DeHarnay fumbled the puck in the neutral zone and kind of led to a three-on-two LA rush where they just threw it through <laughs> a couple guys in front and it just found its way through the crowd and through Skidder. Nobody saw the puck, but... Like it all came off of Edmonton just making a small mistake and them capitalizing on it. And that was kind of yeah. the tail of the tape for them where yeah. they didn't really work for their chances per se. They just waited and pounced for Edmonton to make a mistake. Yeah. It, it's just the, the execution, man. Like, um, and the one thing that was really glaring to me, if you look at the stats is the giveaways from the Edmonton Oilers in that game was 12 uh, versus LA's three. Um, it was very much a, Classic Edmonton Oilers game where the forecheck was all the way in and the defense was all the way off to some extent. Uh, because I mean, at uh, at your initial point, like they they did hold it together. They never truly gave up the lead, but um, it was it was white knuckle time for a good half of that game. Oh man, I couldn't sit down for like the last five minutes. I was watching it out around the fire at my brother's place and. It was just, like, nerve-wracking. Everybody was dead silent for, like, the last, what was it, 12 minutes or so after LA scored their, <laughs> the tying goal. Nobody said a word until Yamamoto scored. Oh, yeah, let's let's get into some of the goals. Clint uh, Costin, man, he, I, I, I'm going to preach it again and again and again. This guy needs more minutes. This guy is such an effective forward. And I think the commonality that you're seeing with um, the way that he's scoring is he finds ways to score outside the uh, the middle of the circles, like towards the top end of the circles, that that back half where um, the goaltenders will normally see shots. But some of those screens that he was taking shots on in, in game six and throughout the series is phenomenal just to see the play coming together. I, I think it was his first goal when he took uh, um, the shot from the top of the circle. He had two defensemen crossing, uh, two LA defensemen crossing, and he just found it at the perfect time and scored. And you can see him back at the bench, like laughing and joking, crossing his hands, being like, I saw it. <laughs> the, the guy is so smart. So I'm just, I'm going to continue to preach for more minutes for Costin. At what point is like too many, are there too many minutes for him? Because like he's yeah, effective in his limited time. If you have mm -hmm. him out there more, then like it might shed some light on maybe some of the more negative aspects of his game. I think there is like a science to limiting some of the minutes for him just because like of the way he plays. He's not an overly defensive player. He plays extremely physical. He's not the fastest in the world. So if he can play eight to 10 minutes a night, be really physical during that time and not burn himself out to the point where he like gets injured or like falls behind to play because he's too gassed to keep up because he's played 15 minutes. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's something to consider because he's never been a guy to play that many minutes in his career. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very valid point. Like at what point do you kind of peak with your efficiency and then start, I don't want to say become a liability or just not as effective. Um, so yeah, it's more of a slow build that I think you would have to lead that to just because like some guys just aren't ready for it. They don't have the conditioning for it. And like, not that I should be talking about conditioning in any <laughs> sense of the word, but like you look at a guy like McDavid or Drysaddle, like Drysaddle's mastered the art of being the big guy who just, he coasts around and then fucking goes to a hundred when he needs to. And then he goes <laughs> back to coasting and then goes back to a hundred. Meanwhile, a guy like Costin, I think Edmonton wants him playing at 100% all the time. 
Yeah. And they want him to be effective and be forechecking and be chasing the puck and creating turnovers versus somebody else who's kind of like trying to get more open and isn't exerting quite as much energy as they would like Vinny to. Or not Vinny, yeah. sorry, Costin. Yeah. It, different style of player. You're making sure that you're uh, getting the best out of them that you can. I, I'd agree with that. I think there's some players where they still need to figure that out if that's the case. Uh, but I mean, I'm not going to sit here and complain. Um, let's talk about the Dino goal. <laughs> oh man. I, I don't know. I was like of fucking course. Like I sat there in silence. I swear to God, it was just me and my fiance that watched the, uh, uh, the game. And when we sit like sat there in silence for a good, five ten minutes just like what the fuck happened well i didn't sit in silence i was swearing up a storm (laughs) i was calling for his fucking head on that play until obviously and i think everybody had a similar reaction whether it was completely dejected or pure anger um until the end of the game when we learned that the stick was broken yeah i didn't see that till the next day I, I think it was it the next on day. the radio because I was listening to the post game show afterwards. And uh, oh, yeah. yeah, every like I think it was Cassian and Gazzola were like pretty much like everybody else. They were just shitting on him. And then they they heard that and they're like, oh, well, like, to be fair, it still probably shouldn't have happened. Like, mm. like and I don't disagree with that. Like Skinner should be aware that his stick is broken because the. The way it broke was Kempe came in and slashed his stick when he had covered up the puck two minutes earlier and it broke it in that spot and very clearly broke it if you watch the replay. Mm -hmm. And like, it's hard to believe that Skidder didn't like maybe lean on his stick a little to kind of test it out to see if it was broken in some way or do something like that. And I can guarantee that after every single whistle, especially if there's a scrum in front of the net, you're going to see Skinner like putting a little weight on his stick just to make sure it's still healthy. Well, and, and anyone that's ever broken a stick will know that depending on where it gets broken or what side of it, it's so much easier, like especially for him. Granted, it's a, a giant ass paddle, but it the 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 point of like pressure where he's putting all his weight down just to get in a regular stance, like you would think you'd feel a little bit of bend your stick, but I don't know. Well, very, by the time he felt weird. the bend, it was a little bit too late, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, there was one comment on that post game show that, uh, Gazzola and Cassie were making, um, where essentially they were saying Skinner should have covered the puck on that play because it was like Dano coming down on him and it was him by himself. What I are said your the same thoughts thing. on that? Like you I said, the, the same, same thing? thing, same thing. Like you've got a guy coming in on you. The thing that I didn't like is when you go back and watch it, you've got a guy on your half wall to pass the puck down to. You've got a guy coming up. You've got a one-goal lead in an elimination game. Granted, there's a little bit more than half the period left. You've got a power play. Just freeze the puck. Just eat it. But, I mean, that's just my take. I don't know. What about... Did you not agree? I disagree with that take. Only because, like, Skinner's made that same pass. Like, just throw it to the sidewall to his, like, his half-board teammate who's waiting for the puck. He's done that probably a hundred times, if not more, this season. And that's the exact play they do. And every single time it gets dumped down onto the goalie, that's what they do. There's no... He has not covered the puck in that situation the entire year. So I I don't know why anybody would expect any different. I understand that they're up a goal. But, like, you're still on the power play. He's confident enough to make that pass. He hasn't had any issues with that in the past for him to even think like, oh, maybe I should cover this up. So Mm. like, I have no issue with that. And obviously I would have liked that he checked to see if his stick was broken prior to that. But, and maybe if the refs would fucking call a penalty for slashing the stick, that would also be cool. Um, But I I don't really blame him for that at all. So like my anger went from a hundred to zero once I learned that the stick was broken. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I didn't, I honestly, I thought he completely whiffed on it. Um, and uh, I, I think in hindsight, it's easy to say that I wish he covered it. And you're right, he has passed the puck. But I mean, you have to know the Kings are going to put a little bit of pressure. They're in an elimination game down a goal on the sh- like on the penalty kill. They're not going to waste that time. But I mean, I'm not going to sit here uh, and uh, berate something that um, 
clearly wasn't anything to blame. The thing that I was actually really happy about, though, is like good or bad, regardless of what happened. I think it took all of maybe 20 seconds after the goal for him to go and play the puck again. Um, and like you mentioned, he did it like he's done all year. Like Skinner's a very strong puck handling goaltender. So um, I'm just glad he didn't sit there and, you know, let it overwhelm him. But it, he probably knew right away his stick was broken. Oh, as soon as he probably went to play the puck, he's like, uh-oh, that's not good. And uh, with that being said, too, you have to commend him, too, for maintaining his his mental on that play. Because I think a lesser goalie would have just completely fallen apart after that. Been like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, I'm the reason we just blew this lead. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? And mm-hmm. he managed to still make a, some solid stops. I think he made that huge fucking save on Arvidsson. Uh, I think it was a two-on-one or a partial breakaway uh, yep. that maintained the lead. And then lo and behold, like a few minutes later, Kyler Yamamoto does what nobody thought possible. Pulls a hymen. Oh my God, man. Okay, fine. This is a, we've got such dedicated listeners. They deserve the the honesty. I was sitting there watching the third period and I know that Kyler Yamamoto has been fighting it this entire series. It's not like it's, uh, one of those things that we've seen what he can do, right? Um, but it was just one of those things where it is a bunch of turnovers, um, some kind of plays where he's kind of blowing by guys rather than uh, finishing the play. And um, I got to like the the middle of the third, and I was like, should we be playing this guy that much? And the guilt that oversumed me, like, that just overwhelmed me when he fucking put the puck in the net made me question why I should be an Oilers fan. I mean, I don't don't know if it made me question that. That's like a real like out of body experience to be questioning whether or not you should be an Oilers fan. I think I no, think it's, it's fair deserve to be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that's fair. I think like <laughs> criticizing a player because they're playing poorly, if anything, would make you a bigger fan than most than just sitting there and not noticing that they're playing poorly. And you're just like, Yamamoto had almost point per game in his rookie season. Like, and that's all you picture. That's all, you know, and you're like, he's a great player. He's a top six forward. But like in reality, he has not been a top six forward since that time. Um, He's been playing in the top six, but his numbers have been more representative, probably like a low end second liner, if not like a third liner. And he's been playing like it in this series. And I have to give respect to Woodcroft for making the decision to swap him and Bukestad out on mm-hmm. the second and third line. And it paid dividends in game five with Bukestad scoring twice. And it paid dividends in this game too, with this Yamamoto Costin, And I think it was dry on this one or no, it was dry on the it second one. Costin scored. Yeah. So it was McLeod on this one, but uh, just Costin and Yamamoto played together. Like those two moves paid dividends two games in a row. So yep. it's nice to see adjusting on the fly and making the correct adjustments. And oh god, how many yeah. how many years have we been preaching for that? You know well, what I mean. I've, I've been hearing. I was reading a lot of uh, the Kings fans post game discussions and everything like that to see what their thoughts were. Now that they've cooled down a little bit, they've had more sensible discussions, and <laughs> a lot of them were saying things around Todd McClellan where they're like, he just fails to make adjustments mid series. He doesn't mm. like seem to realize what's going on until it's too late and how to make the proper adjustments. And Woodcroft seems to be the opposite where he's willing to make those, those harder moves where like, I know it's probably unpopular with fans to knock Yamamoto out. Cause like I said, some people are still set on him being a fixture in our top six, but if he's more effective in on the third line, I don't see why he shouldn't play down there, especially for running 11 and seven. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough because uh, we went through McClellan, we went through Tippett. Um, we saw a lot of that for years on end. It's nice to see the the switch up and, and actually, you know, um, rely on the old eye test every now and then. Um, but I don't know. I, that's all I got for the Kings, man, other than just being elated seeing the Edmonton Oilers closing them out in game six. Uh, if they want to come and do it again, we'll do it in five next year. Um Sounds like Doughty's gonna be thinking about it till then. Yeah, it sounds like the Edmonton is going to never be off his mind for the rest of his life. Uh 
Too bad. Too bad. <laughs> let's uh, let's recap here uh, the rest of the series. Um, I wanted to do them kind of in order in the way they finished. So uh, obviously Carolina uh, swallowing up on the New York Islanders four to one. Not really. I think the thing that shocked me is how Carolina did it with so many injuries on the team. Yeah, well, I think that's a that series was a very collective like sigh from everybody watching it. It was extremely boring. Neither team could score. Mm-hmm. Like, all the games were low scoring as fuck. And overall, like the Islanders just couldn't score more than the Carolina couldn't score. So it was a pretty like boring series at that. I think it had the lowest viewership out of all of the series afterwards. Oh, got it. Yeah, I, I. I got tired watching it, <laughs> but uh, the the next fewest of the series that I actually watched, ironically enough, I probably should have paid more attention was the the Vegas Golden Knights then uh, defeating the Winnipeg Jets in a five game set. I, I watched that overtime game that went to a bunch of overtimes. I just Winnipeg was kind of a team that was on the downtrend like we saw since uh february but i uh, just wanted to get your thoughts so far well my um, thoughts on the winnipeg series like hellebuck did not play well like the only way winnipeg was going to win is if hellebuck played like vesna hellebuck and that obviously didn't happen um and then they were riddled with injuries with morrissey going down and shifley going down and then as rick bonus very very clearly pointed out their top God guys damn. were just dog shit yeah that's two coaches now, man. That's two coaches that have consistently come out and criticized. And, and I think Paul Maurice kind of took the high road just saying they need a new voice. They need something else in the room. But you can't help but wonder what the fuck is going on there. Well, I'm going to think that most of those guys are going to be gone. Like if mm. I was Winnipeg, I'd probably look at a rebuild of some sort. There's been rumors already that Halibut's looking to leave. Oh God. Um, yeah. His exit interview is like, he's half out halfway out the door. Yeah. Like the only guys I would expect to maybe stay, say out of their top six would be an Ehlers and a Connor. I wouldn't be surprised to see Shifley, Wheeler, Dubois. Like those guys are probably gone. Um, but where they go, who, who knows? Cause one of them, maybe more of them are a locker room cancer of some sort. So, <laughs> Um, and with, I guess with Dubois, if there's any odds out there, anybody on whether or not he signs with Montreal on his next contract, I will take those odds. Like that's easy money. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into Vegas there in a little bit. Uh, I don't really have anything to touch on. I think Vegas just played a pretty classic Vegas game and just Winnipeg couldn't compete, but, uh, uh, Dallas doubling up on Minnesota four to two kind of figured Minnesota would put a, a little bit more um, of a, a push against Dallas, especially with the way we saw the the series start. I'm really questioning some of the goaltending changes that they made, but I don't know. That's, that's Minnesota playoff hockey for you. Well, looking at Minnesota, it's kind of hard not to point the finger at Kirill Kaprasov. Like yeah. he had one point in six games as their like 100 point scorer like he should have at least probably had like eight points in that series and if he did (laughs) they probably would have pushed it to seven and borderline would have been on the cusp of winning the series so yeah okay the years finally come the toronto maple leafs in absolute hollywood fashion uh defeating the tampa bay lightning it i'm at the point man like I, I feel a little bit happy for Leafs fans. I said it in a message to my buddy right after the game where I was like, I can't believe I'm happy Toronto won because the relief on some of those Toronto fans faces is like something that it's like they won the cup, honestly. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I hope they exercise some of those demons and then they can start some new demons on not getting through the second round. Well, that brings us to the next series, Sean, because <laughs> In in a perfect retribution world, uh, they would have gotten the best regular regular season team in NHL history in the Boston Bruins, but they somehow find a way to absolutely collapse and be eliminated by the Florida Florida Panthers. I I I was blown away. 
I can't believe it, honestly. And some of the shit that's come out in the series already is kind of mind-boggling to me. Like, have you heard about what uh, they were saying about Allmark after the series was over? Uh, I don't know if I heard that. Apparently, like, he's been injured to the point where he can't move without, like, excruciating pain. And yet they were starting him as the goalie. And when they Uh, asked Montgomery about it, the coach, he was like, oh, you're going to have to ask, like, our goalie coach. Ask him. It's like, yeah, yeah. feels very fingers pointy, but uh, that might have been maybe taken out of a little bit context when I read that quote because I didn't listen to the full interview. But um, well, from the sounds I'm- of it, it was a poor coaching decision to not play Swayman sooner. And I, I don't know what else, like maybe they had some other injuries or something like that, but that just feels like I'm making excuses. Boston shouldn't have blown that. They're an experienced team. That was that was just awful. Yeah, I, I know uh, Patrice had a herniated disc in his back, but I mean, that's probably why he missed the first part of the, the game or the series and then just had his time coming back. But yeah, it just they even the Bruins fans, though, like I follow a lot of them. Um, they uh, they're the first ones to admit, like, we deserve every joke that's coming our way. Um, but I don't know. Uh, we're recording this as game one is actually uh, just underway between the Leafs and the Panthers. So uh, we'll get into predictions a little bit later in the episode. Uh, moving on to the nightcap of that game in the same goddamn day. The Colorado Avalanche find a way to lose to the Seattle Kraken. See, like, it's so surprising that I actually realized I mistyped <laughs> it in the notes. <laughs> yeah. But Sean had, yeah, (laughs) Colorado, the like this one to me is less surprising if I'm being perfectly honest and you have to attribute it to their gross amount of injuries that they had, uh, the avalanche and their complete lack of secondary scoring. They didn't, Mm -hmm. I believe they didn't have a single point out of anybody in their bottom six in this series. So who's, who's the one line team now, Colorado, um, with, well, you sorry, look ahead. at that last game. Sorry, I was just going to jump in and say like that last game, the only time they had like any kind of like pushback was when McKinnon was driving the line. Well, yeah, they they didn't have anything. But like with the death scoring, you can attribute that somewhat to the fact that they have so many injuries and their core kind of got blown up last year. Like you look at Kadri and Burkowski getting like traded or moved out, not resigned. Um, so that bumps two guys up in the lineup to take their spot. And then you have Nikushkin, who's out for weird purposes that nobody actually knows what's going on. Yeah. Uh, you have Landis Cog injured. There's two other guys out of your top six. So you lose four of your top six forwards. And you have to replace that with something. So you're moving your best third and fourth liners up into the top six. And now you have a bunch of essentially AHL scrubs in your bottom six. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing that I was just giggling like a little girl uh, at the end of this series is the fact that they theoretically tied this game, but it got called back on an offside call, Sean. <laughs> it's just karma. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, uh, and the refuse suck chance, like after the, it was the clearest offside that you've ever seen in your life. It just mwah. You got to remember, too, the year before, I believe, Colorado actually lost the series on an offside as well because uh, Landis Cog lazily jumped into the bench in the long bench in the zone. And they ended up getting eliminated because the goal didn't count. So, like, there's something with Colorado and controversial offsides that they just can't seem to escape. (laughs) And then finally, uh, wrapping up last night, the New Jersey Devils come all the way back from a 2-0 deficit and they shut down, absolutely shut down the Rangers. That was that was not a game seven I expected to see between these two teams. That was like watching Canada versus Sweden at the gold medal game in uh, 2012 or whatever. It was a boring <laughs> ass 2-0 game. Ugh. But yeah, like if you look at the Devils, you can attribute what they've managed to do and turn around that series all to their rookie goalie, Akira Schmid. Like his stats were unbelievable. He comes in, wins four games, loses one, 951 save percentage, 1.38 goals against average. Like 
that's that's crazy for any goalie, let alone a rookie who has to come in as like the backup goalie after their starter fumbles. <laughs> and the Rangers, Those... I don't know what the fuck's wrong with that man. Like they scored oh. two goals in the four losses that they had. Yeah, yeah. And you think of the big moves that they made too, like Tarasenko, Kane, like yeah, just wild. I, I think Boston, Tampa, and the Rangers are going to be just they're going to be struggling to try and fill out their roster with young players in the coming years because mm-hmm. none of them have anything left. They traded everything away to go all in this year and they yeah. all go all in all three of those teams all out in the first round. Oh fuck man. Like I don't, I have to hand up. I, I do not give uh, Ken Holland enough. I nearly said Tom Holland. Uh, <laughs> I don't <laughs> give Ken Holland enough uh, uh, credit for the patience that he had to execute the trades that he did. Because if I like looking at what they dropped for Janot, the five picks plus Cal foot to get the perform granted, maybe a little bit hurt, but even in the games that he played in before the playoffs, like that, that's a fireable offense. Honestly, I don't disagree that that seemed a little bit ridiculous and it might've been, I think Tampa is a little bit arrogant after the past few years. Like you've seen in John Cooper's interviews, he seemed mm-hmm. like a real arrogant prick in those. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> and he earned that right to be arrogant until they got eliminated in the first round. And even then he still was kind of just like, yeah, it is what it is. It happens. I was like, yeah. bro, like, come on. Like maybe you should shit on your team a little bit. Cause they did not do enough, but I don't know. And then maybe maybe their GM feels the same way. He's like, I'm going to make this move. Everyone's going to shit talk me, but we're going to win anyway. So it doesn't matter. And then yeah. they didn't win. So you have to well, ask, like, what the fuck? Yeah. And flipping over to Boston, uh, I just saved this uh, tweet that my brother had sent me. Boston gave up a first, second, third, and a fifth for two rentals in Orlov and Hathaway. They gave up a first and a fourth for a rental in Bertuzzi and took a cap penalty next season for structuring Bergeron and Krejci contracts as the way to go all in. Yeah, I believe I read somewhere where they have like $5.5 million in cap space next year, but they have to re-sign 12 players. <laughs> so they literally cannot sign all of these guys to league min contracts and still ice a roster. That's wild, hey? Yeah. Uh, well, that takes care. That takes care of the first round. We got to take some time to look towards uh, the series uh, against the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, we'll get into it. There's some weird fucking shit that I want to get into before we, we start. Can we talk about the NHL schedule and what the fuck is going on right now? Honestly, like, the best thing I can say is they are unprepared. Oh, my God. So for those of you who are listening, probably have heard the update, but uh, we were all aware that there's going to be game one and game two Wednesday and Friday night. Uh, We found out late on Monday night, the game time for 730 on Wednesday. So 730 our time still undecided about uh, game two. It is now Tuesday and we're just finding out that the game day is being fucking moved to Saturday. And There's some weird rumors about it, but continue. I'll let you know afterwards. Ooh, ooh. Okay. And then, so further, the NHL release, I want to get to those rumors here in a second, but getting to uh, um, the uh, the official schedule that the NHL released, Game 3 would would be put in Edmonton on Monday, and Game 4 would be there on Wednesday night at 8 p.m., which also happens to be the exact same time that Disturbed is playing Rogers Place. So they just butt-fucked Disturbed over to Thursday night. Could you imagine being a ticket holder for any of these fucking events? I would be livid, man. I would be really annoyed, especially... So there's two situations I would be annoyed. Game 2 being moved from Friday to Saturday would suck ass, especially for Oilers fans who are specifically, they booked like hotels, they booked flights yeah. and all that, all for Friday already, because they said, oh, the game's on Friday. And then they just are like, no, nah, it's on Saturday now. Good luck. So I'm hoping there's some flexibility with some of those hotels or something, because that's going to be a bit of a nightmare for some people. And then the Wednesday game, I do feel like shitty for the people who book tickets with Disturbed, 
but I believe you have to blame Disturbed and their like uh, their team because okay. I believe there's a fee that they offer to these people to these bands to be like move your concert and we'll pay you this mm. because it's up to them at the end of the day and they chose to move it they accepted to move it so it's probably on them. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't imagine there's a ton of people coming to Edmonton to go see Disturbed on Wednesday night, but um, it, it, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things. It just, it feels like they're just toying around with your schedule, but I don't know. <laughs> it's, it is what it is, but here we are. What are these rumors? Uh, so the rumors are, the reason we're playing Saturday is because Toronto and Florida got moved to Sunday. So we got the prime oh. time spot on Saturday. But Damn. the reason Toronto and Florida got moved to Sunday is that the Kentucky Derby is on Saturday. And apparently Florida's owner has a horse running in the Derby and he wants to watch the Derby. So they move the game to Sunday. Can the Florida Panthers try to control the NHL playoffs anymore? Like I already saw the fucking things on, on uh Ticketmaster that if you don't have a, a credit card, that's, with a uh, U.S. you know mailing address, you can't buy tickets. Yeah, it's it's a little ridiculous. And to be fair, I don't necessarily believe that that is the case. It probably has more to do with like <laughs> like the NBA playoffs or something like that, or maybe some NFL games, and they want to like oh, spread the out the sp- yeah. they want to like spread out the primetime slots a little bit more. But honestly, if, I don't know if it's the case that you had to move Edmonton because. Uh, you didn't have an NHL game on Saturday. I, I think that's the right move. It's shitty that it took you f- three days before it happens, uh, before the initial game was supposed to happen to move it. But I don't know. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, it's just it's just stupid because ah. once again, we have a f- huge fucking gap between games. Like not only do we are we sitting here waiting after like wrapping it up on Saturday and having to wait till Wednesday to start. But now we have to wait till Saturday for game two. Like, oh my god I, I i haven't shaved since the start of the playoffs and i am getting severely concerned how long this is gonna go like they're I gonna mean, drag this out to fucking july there's there's less concerns to have than that that's a good concern to have I think. <laughs> that's fair that's fair uh let's dive into the actual meat and potatoes of this this series uh don't want to focus too too much on edmonton because i mean we've touched on it all all podcast and we're already 40 45 minutes into this thing uh want to spend some time exact oh geez okay well i'm i'm not that good at time telling um want to look at the uh the vegas lineup kind of touch on some of the things that that you see when you you look at them i know there's kind of that viral tweet going around talking about how how much depth this team has but um what's your initial thoughts when you you see the grouping that they have i mean I don't disagree with the depth they have. So we'll just, we'll jump into the lines first and we'll just stick to the forwards for now. So their top line is Barbashev, Eichel, and Marcheseau, followed by Smith, Carlson, Amadio, followed by Howden, Stevenson, and Stone. See, and I do think that's a bit of a mix up because Stevenson and Stone are not your third fucking line. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably your second line, more likely. And then Carrier, Waugh, or Roy, and Colasar, there's too many of these Roy's and Waz. I don't know what the correct that's pronunciation why, is for all of them. That's why I asked um, last time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, essentially I would say, like, they kind of have, like, two first lines, a second line. So, like, the two first lines being the one with Eichel, the one with Stone, their second line, quote-unquote, because Smith and Carlson are probably second line players, um, is that line. And then they have a very clear cut fourth line in Carrier, yep. uh, Roy and Colasar. I'm going to keep saying Roy for this and I'm, I'm sure, sure I'll get roasted for being wrong, but, um, <laughs> that's kind of the basics of how their line's going to work. They're going to, that fourth line though, it, they're, they're fucking big. Like, yeah, I think they're combined probably like six foot five two thirty or something like Carrier loves to fucking hit people. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens when that line's on the ice, but that's probably the line that Edmonton will want to target the most in terms of trying to get speed out against them because they should be able to outrun that line. Yeah. Um, and then with these other lines, it's kind of a toss up because I I'm willing to match any of Edmonton's like top three lines against these guys. I don't have too many concerns about it, but 
honestly, they have really good center depth. It might be fairly similar to playing against LA in terms of they like their best players are centers outside of Stone. And the only difference being that LA is a bit more defense focused, while Vegas is a lot more offense focused. But with that being said, Vegas actually had less goals against this year than LA did. So don't expect yeah. too much, but we'll we'll have to see what happens there. What are what are your thoughts on their offense or their forward core? Yeah, you made a lot of uh, uh, good points, especially about the the forward core. I think the one thing that is probably the biggest step up from from LA is that I think they have a better back six. Um, they they've got some big guys in White Cloud and Hag. They've got uh, veteran defensemen with uh, Martinez, Petrangelo, Theodore's like a, a perennial all star in his own plane. Um, uh, in the uh, the top four of the D men, like. It's uh, it's. I feel like the series overall, though, is going to be a lot more like Connor McDavid alluded to northwest, uh, northwest, north south. Um, it, there's going to be a lot more more entertainment, I believe, in terms of uh, um, skilled plays. Uh, but I, the thing that concerns me too is you've got some big boys in the bottom uh, bottom section there that uh, that forward group that can really that can really grind you down and it'll be interesting to see how the Oilers line up. Like currently, if you're running McDavid and dry together with that center depth, like I, I realize that you have uh, um, Chandler Stevenson sitting in the, the third line position right now, but even if it's him or Willie Carlson, like that's still a pretty solid guy. If you're going to have Ryan Nugent Hopkins sitting um, as your number two center. Well, like I guarantee if they're playing McDavid and Drysaddle together, Stevenson Stone are going to be out there like every second. Mm. Th- those two guys are going to be all over them if uh, Vegas has any say in the matter. Um, it's It might be a good idea to separate them just for that fact alone. But from what I can tell and from what I've seen, they're going to, at least in game one, stick them together still. Um, and to be fair, I do believe in their ability to just outscore everybody and just be like yeah fuck it like you put your best defensive players against our two best offensive players will beat you every time mm-hmm. um but i think personally i think it's better to separate them because i think i talked about it a lot on the last podcast if you're playing against another team where they don't have two really good defensive players on separate lines like dano and kopitar like you can separate those guys and one of them might get quote unquote shut down but the other guy kind of has free reign to do whatever he wants in the offensive zone. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. I think that's the thing that I love about them playing together. It also, if, if you're going to run on 11 and seven and then allow dry and McDavid to pair up together, you get that, that bottom swing of one of the two into the different bottom six line or bottom six uh, forward groupings. However, you want to match it up. Um, you can kind of spread the love that way. Uh, but I think it's it's going to be a series that Edmonton's going to have to heavily rely again um, and continue to get better on the, the discipline aspect with uh, penalties and making sure that, uh, you know, there there's not the bullshit in the offensive end anymore. Uh, I'm glad it's kind of cut back a little bit, but... I think another good thing too is that the the refs have made some pairing changes, so um, they've pared down as well. But uh, it'll just be interesting to see how Edmonton um, handles this. I oddly enough, I see this as a more physical series, but not as defensive. Well, like I think going into the LA series, a lot of people had the misconception that they were similar to years past LA, where they were just big and physical. But this LA team, they're not. They they were they played physical. Don't get me wrong, but they didn't have the size to really go along with that physicality to wear you down. Versus this Vegas team, they have a lot more size, like, mm-hmm. and they're not afraid to play physical, especially that fourth line. I am a little bit like concerned about the physicality from that fourth line, but I think we have a lot of size throughout our lineup too, so we can match it. And I think that's the nice thing about this Edmonton team is that. Like we can either choose to play offense versus your defense and outscore you, or we can go offense versus offense and we'll outrun you all day. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really going to be intriguing. I think the one thing that we'll have, I hope I'm saying this, this is knocking on wood, but 
Um, I think we have the the upper end. The clearest part of the upper end is definitely in the back end and net. I mean, in terms of just general experience. Yes. Yeah, that's that's what I'm relying on. I, I understand the NHL and the NHL playoffs beast in its own is completely an anomaly. You can see guys like Jake Ottinger come in and absolutely just decide to be, oh, I'm on the scene now. Um, I'm just praying that Laurent Brassois hasn't made that decision, you know, how many years into his career. Well, let's like if you look at his statistics this season in the regular season, he was seven zero and three, no regulation losses, two point one seven goals against average, and a nine twenty seven save percentage. And then in the playoffs, he was four and one, with a two forty two goals against average and a nine fifteen save percentage. So like, they're the regular season great numbers, very limited sample size though. And then yeah. His statistics against Winnipeg, similarly, pretty good. Not as good as the regular season, um, but he was getting the job done. He outdueled Hellebuck in that sense, but I I would take it with a grain of salt because mm-hmm. Winnipeg wasn't exactly playing like world beaters by any stretch of the imagination because, like we had mentioned earlier, their top players were just terrible. Yeah. Well... That's why that's another reason why I feel like this is going to be such a good time to catch the Vegas Golden Knights is they've been off for already a couple of days and the the team that they played, it couldn't be more of a stark contrast than what the Edmonton Oilers are bringing or at least brought in game six. Oh, for sure. And like, I would hope that Edmonton could come in and just take them completely by surprise. And I honestly think that we will just outscore them in these games. I doubt they will be as feeling low scoring as the LA games were. But like, if you think about it, it wasn't that low scoring he averaged <laughs> over four goals per game in the playoffs so far, but it felt really tight checking and this game will not be that way. And I think, or the, not this game, the series and Edmonton's style just plays better into that. So I think style wise, this is a better matchup for Edmonton overall. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So with that being said, let's jump into the predictions. Um, I, I'm Sean. I'm putting my hand up. I'm going to bow out. I didn't do it the first round. I'm very superstitious. I don't want to get back into this. Uh, I'll open the floor if you want to. So wait, you didn't predict any like series? I, I don't think remember. I did. I thought I jumped right over that. It's possible you did. I don't know if I remember, but like I confidently, hate predictions of my own team. Yeah, like predictions of your own team are always a little like they're not fun because you're always going to predict your team to win. It's just a matter of how much leeway you want to give the other team. Because like, okay, I think fuck it, it, fuck it, fuck it. I, I, nothing I'm going to do is going to change the outcome of this anyway. So, well, exactly. So, okay. like personally, I'm going to go with Edmonton and five. I think they're going to take them by surprise, and they're going to probably lose one of the first two games in Vegas, but then they're going to win the other uh, the other games, the two games at home, and then game five in Vegas as well. Yeah, I'm going to say Edmonton and six. Um, I think they'll, I don't know if they'll, they'll win game one. Um, I think it's just going to be a, a quick start at, at uh, T-Mobile arena. Uh, we'll see how things shake out, but I, I definitely see them uh, finishing in game six. Yeah. Like the thing about this series is like, I could see it going anyway, like any number mm-hmm. of games, like either team winning, like, I think they're a very closely matched team and I think it'll just be a fun series overall. Yeah. But I think yeah. any series involving Edmonton is just fun because nobody knows how to play defense all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll uh we'll see what shakes out. But uh moving to the rest of the predictions. Uh we got Dallas and Seattle. Uh, this one's an interesting for me, or this one is interesting for me. Um I'm going to I'm going to do it I'm going to say Seattle in seven. That that is certainly bold. Like anybody who's taking Seattle at all, even people who took Seattle in the first round, like I think you were fucking crazy. That, that was I. I told you that last podcast too. Yeah. So but I, I have Dallas in six is probably a less like, like bold answer by any means, but I think it's probably realistic. I think this Dallas team is really good. You cannot deny how good Jake Ottinger has been. Uh, mm. Rupe Hintz is leading the playoffs in scoring with 12 points. Like uh, Jason Robertson, still Jason Robertson, 
and yeah, they've just played fantastic. I, I think the thing that like boggles my mind and the reason that I, I am so impressed by this uh, Seattle team is looking at their team stats. Like it is just absolutely stupid the way that the, the scoring is spread out for them. I'm going to go think out on a limb guy- and say it's like five points. Is, I'm not looking at it right now. Five points or something is their top score, but they have like 10 guys with three to five points. I'll pull it up right now because I was just looking. Uh, I had my my second round draft uh, last night and I was looking through it. Yeah. Yanni Gord has six points. Yeah. But yeah. not not a single player on their team has more than two goals in their seven game series. Well, the, yeah, the thing with Seattle is I want you to close your eyes right now. Forget okay. that you just looked at Yanni Gord's name. When you think of the Seattle Kraken, oh. is there any is there any one player you think of? Like you think of Edmonton, you think of McDavid, you think of Dallas, you think of Jason Robertson, mm-hmm. you think of Matthews with Toronto, you think of Kachuk now with Florida. Like, mm-hmm. is there anybody you think of? The only thing that I think of is Adam Larson and Jordan Everly, and that's just sentimental value. It has nothing to do with like performance. Well, exactly. So like they're just they're like. L- or sorry, Vegas was where they're just this ragtag group of forwards. They're probably all like second, third liners, and mm-hmm. they're just doing fantastic with having all that extra ice time and really running with the fact that they're the underdogs. True, true. And secret time, Sean. The I would just the reason I'm picking Seattle is I would love to see a Western Conference Finals with Edmonton and Seattle. Just the way they played. Fun. Yeah, the way they played each other this year, oh, it'd be so entertaining. Uh, that being said, we'll move to the East. A uh, little bit of vested interest, Sean. New Jersey versus Carolina. Any thoughts there? Well, I have New Jersey in seven, only yeah. because I think they'll probably face a little bit of adversity. I'm sure Schmid might falter a little bit because, like I mentioned, he is a rookie. Um, you might see a little bit of doubt in his game here and there, and they could take a game or two off New Jersey because of that. But New Jersey has so much offense, man. As long as they're healthy, I don't know if you saw the hit from Jacob Trua and Timo Meyer in that last Rangers oh. Devils game, which personally I cannot believe they said that was clean, but that's beside really? the Really? Yeah. Like oh, I thought that I thought was that... disgustingly terrible. Like that was an awful hit. I thought he should have got suspended on the spot. I don't think I could disagree more with that. I thought that was a textbook clean hit. There was no like no feet leading up to it. He was just in a bad position, head down. I I don't know. Maybe that's... I mean your head could be down, but I don't think that gives you free reign to throw your shoulder into his face. It. I think yes. Okay. Uh, this this fucking sucks because I have to agree with Mark Spector. It was a clean hit, but it was a hit to the head. That's not a clean because... hit. Yeah, what are you supposed to do? Drop down to your knees? Don't don't fucking hit him there. And I don't know how else to say it. Scoring you? Like I that's the same thing with like Yamamoto getting hit in the head a few times. So they're like, oh, he did, like it's clean because he's short. It's like no, oh, just, you just don't hit him in the head. Ah, uh, I, I disagree. I think you put yourself in bad positions on that one. I think even if you go back and watch them shaking hands, like they look like they had a good embrace. Like, ah. Uh, well, like, I don't disagree that Timo Meyer didn't deserve to get hit. And, like, didn't he put himself in a shit position. But, like, it doesn't change the fact that it was a headshot regardless. It's similar to a boarding play. Like, yes, it's a penalty. Yes, you should have let up. But, that, like, in my opinion, with boarding plays half the time, I'm like, you put yourself in that fucking position. You knew what you were doing. But you're flying towards a guy at 25 kilometers an hour, right at the second, last second, he decides to like head straight down. Like, that's not his fault. Yeah. Uh, like, well, it's a combination. It's both their faults. Yeah. Like, uh, I uh, just think you need to be more like wary of what you're doing. And Truba's had f- far too many of these apparently <laughs> gray hits that I'm starting yes. to not, they're not looking so gray anymore. Let's just say that. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's, that's one of those things you can, if you what is a clean hit in the NHL anymore? But uh we shoulder could... on shoulder, shoulder on chest, <laughs> no head contact. That's that's about as yeah. clean as you can get. Yeah, well, I don't agree with that or don't disagree with that. Uh, but I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we'll leave that debate for another day. Toronto and Florida. Did I give my pick? I didn't give my pick. No, you did not. No, uh, I said New Jersey in six for that one, but um, 
Toronto and Florida. I'll let you go first on this one. God, this makes me disgusted. <laughs> what's 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 the fucking score right now? I'm gonna uh, check it. Last I checked, it was one nothing Florida. Yeah, still is halfway through the second. Okay, so I'll give them a little bit of grace. I was gonna say Toronto and four, but I'm gonna say Toronto and five. Toronto in five. Really? I think it's there's something going on. I think they've got the East. Um, it's gonna be either Carolina or New Jersey. I think that gives them a tough test. But I mean, the fuck do I know? Florida just beat off Boston, so yes. I, I just think you, I don't know. You can't deny the power of Matthew Kachuk getting in everybody's heads without even trying. Yeah, and I can I can really really see. Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares. I could see Matthews just rubbing them the wrong way and getting them off their games. And like, yeah. I could see Florida definitely putting up a fight in this series. There's no reason to think, in my opinion, that this shouldn't go at least six games, if not seven. But I am with you that I do have Toronto winning, but it's probably like in six, maybe seven. But I, if I had to choose one, I'd go six. Yeah. This would be like the first time that we haven't seen a sweep in the first two rounds in like forever. That's true. Like, I'm sure with that being said, one of these will surprisingly one of be these. a sweep. I'm sure Carolina will sweep the Devils or something like that. And we'll be like, oh, <laughs> nobody saw that coming. Now I feel bad. It is my, have we got any update on Meyer? Like, I know he was uh, up he, and around. He but He came back into the game and played. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, so, I was hoping, theor- I was hoping like, deeply that we saw some Paul Korea shit, but, um, wow. It's cool as the Paul Korea shit was, <laughs> uh, I really hope we don't see any Paul Korea shit. Yeah. Agreed. Cause now you hear what he had to deal with afterwards. So, um, exactly. I'm going to walk back those steps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Sean, I don't know. It's a clean hit anymore. No, you just can't um, win anymore. Honestly, yeah. every hit is, is dirty and something's wrong with this and something's wrong with that. You, you just can't win. Yeah, very true. Um, the only other thing that we have on our uh, notes here, NHL awards on May 3rd, that's tomorrow night. Uh, yeah. Seriously. Actually, as we speak, they are releasing some of the finalists for the trophies. So we have anything up. The Selkie finalists are Bergeron, Heeshier and Marner. Ooh, so I'm sure Marner got like, I know he's a good defensive player, but I have a feeling he got a few uh, votes from the old uh, home team. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they also have the Lady Bing finalists out, which is uh, Jack Hughes, Kopitar and Braden Point. Oh, it's not the actual awards. It's the the these are just the finalists because yeah. uh, they always uh, announce okay. the finalists before and then you go through and they actually announce who's going to win. Well, I thought this was like way too early for this, but yeah, yeah. that makes sense. For any Edmonton fans who are curious, the I think the only one with voting that will be concerned about or the only ones are the Art Ross, which I think McDavid will, or not the Art Ross, what am I saying? The Lindsay, the Hart, which I think McDavid ran away with both of those, but more importantly, the Calder, which I think Skinner has a very, very good chance at winning. That's actually out tomorrow. From the looks of the announcements. So, okay. They, they provided uh, well, today, like a schedule. You listening to this today. Them? Yeah. It's uh, the Calder's being released on May 3rd. The Norris on the 4th. Adams on the 5th. Then Bill Masterson 9th. Lindsay 10th. Vesna 11th. And then Hart on the 12th. So then, wait. The, course, so the NHL awards aren't actually until later? The awards themselves aren't given out until June oh. 26th. Yeah. Well, I fucking misread the thing that I put <laughs> in the notes then. I thought the awards were actually tomorrow because that was like the the tweet that I read. But apparently they're just starting to put out the finalists and the awards until June 26th. Well, there you go. So (laughs) fuck me. (laughs) Well, we'll uh, we'll dive into the hockey games uh, starting for us uh, Wednesday. And uh, we'll definitely get back here between games two and game three. Hopefully have we a Hopefully game two stays on fucking Saturday, but um, we'll recap everything that's going on in the second round and we'll get back to you then. Let's go Oilers. Oilers.